Hello, it's Tuesday 20th of June. I'm Hannah Pearson. On today's show, Gary Bowerman and I will be discussing all things aviation and airports across the region with our guest, Shantanu Gagakhedka. So let's get started. This is the Southeast Asia Travel Show. Hello, wherever you are in the world, and thanks for listening in. So today, we're delighted to welcome KL-based Shantanu Ganga Kudka, who is Senior Consultant for Aerospace and Defense with Frost & Sullivan here in Kuala Lumpur. Shantanu recently authored a new white paper entitled The Future of Airports and Growth Opportunities. So Shantanu, thanks for coming on to the Southeast Asia Travel Show. Great to chat with you. How are you doing today and where are you? Hi, Gary. Hi, Anna. Thank you so much for having me on this show. It's a pleasure. Uh, currently, I am uh, based out of KL, and I am in KL currently, but it has been a busy few months uh, since the aviation has been recovering. And uh, yeah, it's it's happy to see the aviation industry finally recovering, and uh, uh, across the region, of course, uh, how the airlines are recovering, airports are seeing a, la- a larger amount of passengers coming in. So it's, it's happy to be, uh, happy to see the aviation industry recovering. Great. So as somebody who works in aerospace and defense, you yourself have been flying recently, haven't you? Uh, yes, quite a bit in the region and outside the region as well. That's good to hear. So let's start by taking a little bit of a rewind through 2023. We're almost exactly halfway through the year. How would you assess the aviation recovery in Southeast Asia so far in this really important year that is 2023? Absolutely. Uh, before I divide, uh, delve into the numbers per se, let me just give a quick background so that we understand how we are here and how what's what's happening with the uh, Southeast Asian aviation industry. Uh, the most important point to understand is that uh, Asia Pacific as well as Southeast Asia uh, were one of the last uh, regions to start the recovery, and uh, there were multiple reasons for this because w- one major being that. Uh, the opening of border restrictions uh, were quite varied across the countries in the region. Uh, the border restrictions were even for a much longer period than in other re- uh, regions and countries. And because of these re- uh, reasons, uh, the border opening of, was quite delayed. And hence, the recovery also began much later. So you will see that the recovery rate of how the industry is doing Asia-Pacific is lagging and has been lagging. but since January of this year, as you rightly pointed out, 2023 is a very important year for uh, the region, uh, not only for the aviation industry uh, across as well. And reason because uh, all these hurdles which were in place started to ease off. Uh, the Chinese tourists started coming in. That was a major inflow for the aviation industry. And with this, the Southeast Asia region is now on a growth, a very strong growth trajectory. Uh, so currently, if we talk about as of May 2023, uh, the, uh, the Southeast Asia is just about uh, 20% below 2019 levels on an overall level. But if you go specifics on the domestic, so domestic is just about 15% below and international is about 25% below. And this is very natural because domestic opened much before than international uh, given the various reasons. So that, that's where we are. And uh, speaking of how it will recover in the next few months, we are expecting that the industry will reach about uh, about 90% Southeast Asia, about 90% of the uh, 2019 levels by end of this year. So the future is looking pretty promising then for the Southeast Asian region. How about the broader Asia-Pacific region? 
quite similar to Southeast Asia, but uh, speaking about just comparing to so that we can compare. So Asia Pacific is about 75 percent of 2019 levels as of May 2023, and uh, we are expecting that it reaches about 85 percent of uh, 2019 levels by this year end. And of full recovery is expected in 2024. So quite similar, uh, a, a bit slower than Southeast Asia because uh, of of course many other countries. Some countries open much later than other in Southeast Asia as well. So that's why uh, that lagging in recovery in Asia Pacific and the region. Yeah, that's that sets the scene very nicely as as we've been discussing on the podcast. You know, over the last year or so, it's been this graduated recovery across the region, as you say, that really impacts the the aviation statistics that we're talking about right now. So you there, you looked forward to the end of this year and what the potential outlook in terms of capacity is. What are some of the challenges that we should be looking out for over the second half of the year? For example, as demand starts to come back, as we get more travelers into the region, you mentioned Chinese travelers are coming back, Chinese tourists. You know, is it possible that we could see some of the uh, airport experiences that we had in Europe or North America last year where the capacity simply wasn't able to be managed and you had things like long, long queues out the door, you had luggage going astray, those kinds of things. Is that possible, do you think? Uh, the one very important difference between how uh, Europe or North America has been recovering and how Asia Pacific uh, as a whole uh, is recovering is that the demand came uh, suddenly back in those regions. But in Asia Pacific, the demand is has been gradually increasing. So in the case of Europe, where we saw all those what you just mentioned, uh, because the demand came up back so suddenly, uh, it was very difficult for airports to manage that demand rightly. For example, you need the right staff uh, and it's not as easy as any other industry to just hire someone today and they can start work tomorrow. They need, certi- they need certification, they need verification, authorization, training, many a times retraining. And uh, this takes at least five to six months of lead time before they can be hired and put on the uh, on the air side specifically. Uh, so that that's but in Asia Pacific, what's happening is because the growth has been gradual. Airports, airlines, or the entire aviation uh, industry has get got the time to address it in a gradual manner as well. So they realize the growth is coming back in. They started hiring. They started training. Uh, they started getting all the things uh, in place so that they can address as the demand grows together. So uh, there will be definitely some challenges such as labor shortages will be there. Uh, the costs are increasing, which is impacting operations. Uh, supply chain issues are there. But uh, it's very unlikely that we will see the same situation that uh, people experienced in Europe uh, to happen in Asia uh, in at least the next year. I guess we've got the advantage of watching all of the mistakes that Europe and North America made, right? And we, we, we can learn from them. Um, so let's switch tracks then um, and dive into that white paper, um, Future of Airports and Growth Opportunities, Sustainability and Digitization that you created. And I will um, add a link to that in the show notes as well. Um, but first of all, what was the brief for that report? And why did you produce it at this point of time now? Uh, aviation industry uh, was was going through a, a lot of uh, ups and downs in the last uh, three years, mostly downs. And just beginning of 2023, uh, and even more so in Q, uh, as we completed Q1, the industry started picking up. The recovery uh, started happening across all the regions, not only concentrated in a few specific regions. So now that everyone is now first focusing on the recovery, there are certain spe- uh, key specific themes that need to be understood as the recovery takes place. 
And these are the three themes themes that I wanted to cover in this white paper. One being, what are the changes? There are multiple changes that the industry has gone through. So how are uh, airports and how should airports uh, address these changes as we call it post-pandemic transformation or changes that has happened in the industry? Second is, uh, digitization plays a huge role in pro in leveraging or enabling the industry to have that growth simultaneously. And finally, sustainability is a huge aspect now, more than ever. And how to address sustainability, how to achieve the net zero goals that everybody is uh, setting up and ha- by 2050. So these are the uh, three themes that are very important to the industry now. And in, why not two years or one year ago? Because everybody was in a crisis mode. They were all seeing how to reduce cost. Uh, so for them, uh, when you talk about sustainable digitalization, it's, it's, a, it's a distant topic. But now as the recovery starts coming in, uh, they can all look at these, or they can understand and uh, take this into consideration while planning the growth. So hence now. Yeah, that sets this up nicely, Shantanu, for the next question. So in the, in the white paper, <clears throat> you write, and I quote, uh, airports all over are making changes in their operation plans and strategies to adapt and inculcate the learnings of the last two years. Now, I read the white paper, and you do use some case studies from beyond the region, from around the world. Obviously, it's a very global industry. But what would you say are some of those key learnings, and how do they relate to, to our region? Sure. So one key learning or key uh, aspect that has been very important for airports, and it's, it's region agnostic, it's that they, it, the airports need to be agile and resilient. And uh, because many... Many a times, and when I talk about agile resilience, it's about their operations. Uh, so in case anything of such happens, it shouldn't, it should not, hopefully. But if it happens, airports should be readily able to adjust their operations or uh, be it so flexible so that they can minimize their cost as soon as possible. And that's what airports have learned. Because many a times, airports couldn't do, do that because they did not inculcate that aspect into their planning, into the strategy, into their operations. But uh, if the operations are uh, agile, if the airports uh, make their operations resilient enough, that will help reduce the cost, which was a major issue uh, during the times where there was no demand. So that is one key learning. Uh, this, the second is, is about automation. And it's not only that uh, biometrics will only help when uh, there is pandemic. So in other cases as well, in a normal scenario, having automation, having uh, biometrics as part of automation uh, enhances airport operation both from a passenger ex- experience perspective as well as uh, taking the processing times. So these are a few of the things that airports have realized the importance. They are inculcating those uh, learnings and you can see many airports in the region as well uh, trying to work towards that. Uh, so these are the few ones which I would specifically focus on. And uh, one is more of an uh, uh, you know, a good to have and that airports not only tier one in the region but even smaller regional airports are looking at it is uh, enhancing passenger experience because uh, what's happening is uh, this even before covid and even after covid as well the aeronautical related revenues are mostly stagnating and if they want to increase their revenues the non-aero revenues are, are the one where the majority of the focus is being done to at least increase that specific streams and uh, so enhancing passenger experience relates to increased non-aero revenue. And so many airports uh, are, have understood that and they're trying to see how, in what ways can new revenue streams be added? Uh, how can they enhance existing revenue streams so that non-aero aero, aero revenue uh, increases? 
So those new, well, those extra revenue streams, they're what, F&B, entertainment, is it that kind of thing? Retail, yep, yes, yes. Because what, what happens is many a time smaller airports may not be focusing so much on retail, F&B or entertainment, but uh, it is key. And you will see digitization playing a key role uh, in supporting this. Uh, be it even food and beverages, even duty-free shopping is a huge uh, income source for airports. And how they can enhance, how they can make it more easier for passenger to shop. And it's only not the experience in, in the FNB, but uh, the aim is to make passengers have as much time as possible at the retail and not spend that time in security checks, immigration. So shortening the time of processing uh, for tasks which are not generating revenue is the aim so that they have much more time at the gates uh, before boarding so they can at leisure have with, uh, by having a good experience uh, to support that revenue. That's super interesting. I've never really thought about it that way. You know, I've, I've always thought about it from the point of view, you know, airlines, of course, they, they want to get people through, you know, people are getting annoyed about standing in a queue rather than that. The other mean, that's the business case, isn't it? You know, you get through security quicker, you've got more time to spend your money on other things. Absolutely. And, and, the, and the more happier you are, or the more not frustrated you are, with your, the more you may be willing to spend or buy something. So yeah, totally. I, I totally agree. Um, so you've talked about digitization automation there. I mean, big data, AI, those are huge buzzwords right now as well. Um, how are airports incorporating those kind of technologies to enhance operations? So there are there are two uh, segments that we need to understand when we talk about digitization automation. Where this will do. One is from a passenger's experience perspective, and one is from an operational perspective. So if we talk about, let's talk about operational perspective first. So when we talk about these technology, how we are leveraging is one is enhancing airside operations. So uh, a majority of what happens, how air, air, uh, aircrafts can uh, leave on time, reducing turnaround time is based on the efficiency and effectiveness on the airside operations, be it ground support equipment movement, be it resource allocation, uh, be it gate allocation for aircrafts. And uh, so these, uh, this is where a lot of AI, a lot of big data, a lot of automation is being deployed. So to give an example, uh, if the the airport is able to understand what is the who are the type of passengers on an aircraft are there a lot of uh, uh, senior citizens involved then having the that specific aircraft closer uh, to your security immigration so that they don't spend a lot of time traveling they don't get lost in the airport reduces that turnaround time so similarly so these things can only be done with with having a a big data or ai behind it to allocate those gates based on certain parameters that have been set and there are many more such examples in operations. From a passenger experience perspective, it directly links to uh, providing that immersive experience. So maybe using AI uh, at duty-free, uh, providing uh, much more automated solutions for their processing, be it check-in, be it backdrop, immigration. And now certain airports are also uh, working with technology providers to deploy uh, automation at security checkpoints as well. So these are the different places where uh, technology can be leveraged. So in short, technology plays a very big role throughout the airport across all the processes and uh, airports are working towards deploying them. Yeah, that's interesting, Shantanu. And a, a subset of, of that big data technology is biometrics. You, you've already referenced biometrics earlier. 
Um, <clears throat> but it's very, very important. And this was happening before the pandemic. I think we you know, saw air, airports like Changi starting to introduce more biometric uh, systems. But where are some of the pain points of the airport experience? You talk about making it more immersive, making it more convenient. That's most important. Um, how can biometric applications help that? So biometric, it, biometrics comes in various forms. So it's face, iris, palm, fingerprint, many other. So uh, biometrics definitely uh, was prevalent before, post, uh, before pandemic. It increased, uh, the deployment rate increased after pandemic. And the, the certain sections where it's it's easier to deploy compared to other is a check-in kiosk. So you have your own, you can do your self-check-in, backdrop. That's one. It reduces a lot of queuing times at the airport. Uh, but a very important aspect where biometrics uh, is important and it's reducing processing times is at immigration. So having uh, e-gates, auto-gates, uh, various terminologies there uh, to process uh, 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 at least arriving or departing passenger uh, increases the processing times, uh, reduces waiting times and increases throughput for the airport. So that's one. Uh, security is still one which will take time because of the safety concerns and there are many more aspects involved. Uh, but uh, uh, these are the certain solutions. Of course, boarding, boarding is one place, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's not the priority for all, but it is being deployed in a lot of places as well. So one of my pet peeves right now when I'm traveling is baggage. And I've had really, I was traveling in Europe over May and just had really terrible experiences with baggage and um, it, it not turning up or having to wait around for the luggage to be delivered to the carousel. And, you know, that's really a frequent complaint, I think, across the region. So how can or should airports improve this aspect? Uh, when we talk about baggage handling, there are certain uh different processes involved so there's sorting screening storage handling and uh, we as passengers many times only interact with one or two of those processes but uh, for the entire baggage handling to be efficient uh, all of these processes need to be in harmony they need to uh, work as expected and that's where automation plays a very big role uh, because the moment you have uh, human interaction, uh, there are bound to be errors, there are bound to be delays, and that's what happens. So uh, the next aspect is uh, you when you when you talk about losing your baggage or not knowing what's happening, that's where uh, airports are looking at uh, ability to track and trace baggage in real time. So a passenger will have the ability to uh, on his or her uh, phone see where the baggage is exactly. And that's happening through use of RFIDs. Uh, it's still in a nascent stage, but that's uh, if that's how it happens, uh, then airports will be able to, so both passengers will be able to track. Of course, airports will be able to track in much more detail of where exactly each bag is, what's the processing time, where it's being delayed. Uh, because uh, verification, or I mean, uh, scanning the baggage is also very important, be it uh, incoming baggages or outgoing baggages. And that many a times takes time. So having those processes streamlined while able to track and trace the baggages will uh, hopefully reduce uh, those uh, challenges with baggage. So let's talk next about the F&B component, which is a very important part of the airport experience, especially if you're taking an international flight because you tend to arrive a bit early, you have a bit more time. Um, the range and the quality of F&B varies quite significantly at airports across the region. 
Are there any trends or innovations that we should be looking out for in the coming months? One of the few ones that uh, we are already experiencing in a few of the airports in the region is uh, ability to pre-book your, uh, your duty-free shopping. And so that you don't have to go there, uh, maybe look for something you may not find. So what you could do is you could just pre-book your required items and just collect it from the uh, the the, uh, the counter there. That's one. Second is which is still not a uh, not at uh, huge uh, largely in the region is your ability to pre-order your meals. So you can have maybe you want to eat something uh, uh, at your gate. You can just order something instead of going there, waiting in the queue, finding what you want to eat. You can order it through your phone and you can have it uh, at the gate, uh, which an extension of this is also in terminal delivery. We have certain airports like Dubai Airport already doing this. So you can have something delivered to you while you are waiting at the gate. So you have lots of time. You can shop or order something to eat and you will have uh, it delivered to the gate right where you are sitting and this is of course uh, by uh, many times by use of technology such as robotics uh, which like self-service kiosks so these are certain aspects that will enhance the fnb component while of course when you talk about retail it's how you can use uh, make it more uh, experiential be it ar vr or make it even more contactless shopping is something that uh, we can look forward to so these are some of the trends that uh, will or may impact the industry as we go ahead. Overall, in this white paper, you note that airports are going through a transformation, be it the way they operate or the use of their solutions technology. Um, but this transformation is not often really that clear or visible to travelers. You know, even with the baggage, you said there's so much, you know, going on behind the scenes that passengers don't really see. Um, so do you think that airports should adopt stronger communications and, you know, awareness telling travelers about that progress being made? The thing is that uh, in general, airports not, are not usually in the business of marketing and advertising. So that's that's not their focus because uh, we must understand that's also additional cost for them. But many times airports uh, uh, mention the processes, be it on their websites, but that's mostly what they do because their focus is that uh, they're improving the processes, be it from the passenger side or from the operational side. And uh, once a passenger arrives at the airport, he or she can uh, experience that change if there is. And that's how uh, they are willing to put forward. But uh, many times some airports, if there are some new, new technologies that put in, uh, they may not put it on as widely, advertise as widely, but uh, they do showcase it on their websites. And basically once passengers start flying through them, uh, they know what's happening and that's how it generally is seen. But uh, yeah, that's how it usually works. So when, when we talk about airports, Chantanu, often we, get, we tend to refer to the big hubs. That, that tends to be the, the, the focus of, of conversations. But the Airports Council International recently commented that small and emerging airports are crucial to the development of local and global connectivity. And I think in addition, at the ACI's recent uh, conference in Kobe in Japan, it was noted that Chinese outbound air connectivity in the first half of this year was recovering much faster at primary airports than secondary or tertiary airports. So what's the outlook for secondary and tertiary airports in the region post-COVID? The, the, the short answer is that the regional or uh, smaller airports, as we call it, uh, have been uh, uh, experiencing huge growth. And the reason for this is because the change in passenger uh, travel demand. Now, after the COVID, many of the passengers are preferring point-to-point uh, -point routes 
they don't want to have connecting flights because uh, many times passengers are unsure of the different uh, regulations requirements restrictions so they are preferring that they fly point to point routes and that's where they find airports which are point, uh, uh, so maybe if they want to go to a particular region uh, a smaller airport might be uh, better suited for them instead of going to a big airport and then taking a different mode of transport to reach that and that's why small airports are taking permanence uh, a second aspect which is also becoming more important is that uh, these regional smaller airports tend to have uh, many times lower taxes and that help in reducing their overall ticket prices so if you are able to find uh, if you're flying to uh, an, uh, a country or a region or a or a city which has a second airport close by, maybe of a, a, a few an hour or so away, uh, but has a lower cost. Passengers are uh, willing to take that uh, to reduce the ticket prices. So that's how these uh, regional and uh, smaller airports are getting in prominence. Uh, it is also important because these airports, because they are not as congested as the larger airports, the processing times are shorter. Uh, you need not uh, go in advance much before your flight because you know that. The, the airport is smaller, the processing is much sooner. And so these are some of the reasons that are uh, leading to these smaller airports getting prominence, uh, not only in the region, but outside the region as well. That's interesting. Um, so let's, you know, I, I really want to talk about sustainability and that was part of your white paper as well. Um, and it's such an important topic. Um, so you, you wrote that airport operators are undertaking developments and modernization efforts in airports to achieve net zero targets. So have you got any examples in Southeast Asia? Um, are some airports taking, you know, bigger steps towards this than others? Largely, Southeast Asia or Asia Pacific as a region uh, has been a bit slower in adopting sustainable initiatives compared to Europe and North America mainly because the government regulations in those regions are quite stringent and that's how uh, the push for uh, deploying the solutions has been uh, adopted much sooner and faster but nevertheless we are seeing adoption in the region so a couple of airports which i can mention is kuala lumpur airport uh, which which one of the key aspects was electrifying the ground power units from diesel diesel powered units and that helps save a lot of carbon emissions uh, they do a rainwater harvesting, they have solar panels. Uh, next is Changi Airport. Of course, we know they have uh, water. Uh, they have a lot of waste management aspects there. Uh, they have energy, energy efficient systems being deployed across the airport. Uh, they also have water harvesting uh, their aspects as well. And uh, one more is uh, Suvarnabhumi Airport in Thailand, which is part of airports of Thailand. Uh, they are doing multiple aspects to reduce emissions, be it through lighting, be it through many other initiatives that they have taken. So these are few airports, prominent airports, which are doing this. Uh, other airports in the region, be it in Philippines or Indonesia, uh, they are still not there. They are trying. They have some plans set in place, more motion, uh, be it for the new terminal expansions to inculcate the sustainability aspect. Uh, but they are getting there. So I would say in uh, next few years, the we will have a very strong case studies coming from across the region. Yeah, I mean, and that's something that really strikes me. You were saying, you know, I mean, and actually it comes back to what we were saying about airports should communicate these things better because for KLIA, I really had no idea that they were pursuing those kind of sustainability initiatives, right? But I also think it's really interesting the countries that are perhaps not openly or putting sustainability as a bit lower, you know, when, when I look at it, um, Indonesia and Vietnam, and of course, these two are two of the biggest aviation markets, the two of the countries, I think, probably with the, the most number of airports, I would guess, um, in the region. 
the passenger demand is much higher if the passenger flow yeah yeah right um i mean do you do you what, what kind of steps do you see the, these two countries taking as i mentioned earlier uh, we cannot definitely compare them to uh, european and north american regions uh, but the thing is uh, there is always a cost involved for this and uh, so the question remains who will pay for that cost will passengers pay for it will uh, airlines pay for it who will pay for it and if uh, the cost increases little bit being the region as it is it's very price sensitive passengers may look for some alternatives and that may end up losing a lot of revenue for the airports so the airports have to very critically plan and strategize how they can have growth simultaneously with uh, sustainability and that's how uh, that's why uh, they are so i'm not saying they're not doing they are trying to do uh, in the planning stage they are trying to identify how and what they can do it most efficiently and effectively uh, but the biggest driving force that will help speed up these uh, initiatives is through government regulations so once there are government regulations mandates put in place they have to follow and uh, that's how uh, i think the initiative or the uh, dig up of sustainability uh, initiative is much be, will be much faster it's been fascinating listening to a kind of real time update of where we are in terms of the airport uh, economies around the region right now i want to finish up by taking a bit of a longer term view and one of the if if we look back at the 2010s it was definitely an era of aviation it was an era of new airports of airline growth airline route growth passenger growth but looking forward um a hot topic really is intercity high speed rail there're going to be a lot of developments over the next 10 20 years southeast asia will have its first high speed rail line later this year in indonesia looking forward do you think that this poses a, a danger to airlines and to airports or do you think that they can coexist in a region because demand will be so strong there, there is no easy answer for that uh, for that gary the reason being because uh, there have been uh, uh, instances where hsr has led to uh, some drop in passenger demand in those routes so uh, china has a lot of uh, high speed rail corridors across the country and in those specific corridors there have been instances where the passenger demand has dropped uh not significantly but uh, but uh, but a bit uh but in southeast asia we are still not there there is there is not a uh, that we would have a, a a lot of hsr connectivity across there are a lot of uh, challenges that go in having uh, the hsr corridor being laid out beat the cost the the time of deployment the amount of time it takes uh so there will be certain corridors definitely which you say in the next few, few years will be established but i don't see that they will be uh, largely impacting the aviation sector because there's a lot, tremendous growth trajectory uh, as we all know asia pacific is uh, tend to be the fastest growing aviation sector uh, across the gold uh, and uh, this won't directly have a, a lot of impact because of hsr so they will i believe coexist may even support uh, passengers from across the region to uh, use that specific airports uh, in a easier and faster way so uh, at least from my personal perspective at least in the short term i don't see that hsr being uh, a competition or cannibalizing the aviation industry gray ending on a positive outlook for the region i love that So that brings the show to a close for this week. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and don't forget to send us your thoughts and comments on anything we discussed with Shantanu or anything we missed out. You can drop us a message on our LinkedIn page at the Southeast Asia Travel Show. Yep, and as always, you can catch up with the Southeast Asia Travel Show's full back catalog on our website, the seasiatravelshow.com, 
And you can find us on any international podcast platform. So that's a wrap for today, but we'll be back next week to talk more Southeast Asia travel and tourism. See you then.